play on a Sunday night. They're getting that together. A lot of you kids. If you're involved in that, kids, raise your hand. Look at there. Look at there. It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be big. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be on a Sunday night here soon, and then we'll, we're going to have some things down in the fellowship hall afterwards, and then for those that want to go, we're going to do our annual, it'll be our third annual Christmas Express Night. We're going to go find us. We're going to go somewhere new this year, though. We're going to, we're going to find somewhere we're thinking about, for those that want to go, going down to the Disney area and riding the monorails and looking at all the Disney decorations that are on those motels and, you know, taking some time that evening and, and, uh, and having a good time that way. But we'll look at it as we're trying to plan it. For the, and it's no pressure for those that want to go and those that don't, don't need to go, don't have to go. Nobody's going to worry about it. But we'll have some uh, refreshments and things here that's part of the play. And then we'll go shoot over there to that and just have our Christmas Express night that we've had in the last, this will be our third annual one. Those are always a lot of fun. So I can't believe Christmas is here, but it is, man. And we're, we're already focusing on Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's going to be a lot of fun. I love this time of year. I had a wonderful time with my family. Uh, we had a harvest party at our house, and my mom and dad and several of my brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews were there. Just a great time of the year for getting together. We're always so busy, aren't we? Always so busy. It seems like it never slows down. And I live a life where I'm at one event talking about the next event at this event, and sometimes five or six events coming up. So sometimes I'm just glad that just get to stop and slow down and, and focus on what's in hand, what's, what's right in front of me. All right, Revelation 4, verse 1. Are you all there? Already? Everybody buckle up, because here we go. Revelation 4, 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet, talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be here, after. Now, this is a very important verse. Next to it, I want you to write the word rapture. Write that word next to chapter 4, verse 1. Rapture. Now, we're going to look at this a little bit, but we've, just to catch you up, we have already seen the seven churches. Now, remember that seven is the number of perfection or also Completion. In these seven churches, we see the completion of the church age from the day that Jesus started the church all the way till the rapture, which Jesus comes for the church. We see in those seven churches, which concluded at the end of chapter 3, we see the completion of the church age. So we looked at that in great detail. The church age, by the time we get to Revelation 4, verse 1, the grace age, the church age, the time of the Gentiles, all three of those names refers to the same period of time in prophecy. That is now complete. It is done. It has been fulfilled. Now, after chapter 3, the church is not going to be mentioned again in the Revelation narrative. Now, there's a very simple reason why. Who knows the reason why after chapter 4, verse 1, we never see the church mentioned again. Who knows why? Miss Terrell, what are you thinking? Because we're in heaven. Church isn't here, is it? The true church, the body of Christ, has been raptured out. So we are not going to be spoken of again throughout the tribulation narrative. It's not here. There is only a remnant of the largely unsaved 
Laodicean church age. Now, we pointed this out, sadly, and it makes me sad. It's not a happy thought. I believe that there are two places in Scripture, and I pointed this out last Sunday night, two places in Scripture where the Laodicean age is greatly defined. We see that Paul defines it in a prophetic writing in 2 Timothy 3, where he will will describe the church that will exist at the time that Jesus comes. And he describes it as being a perilous time, a troubling time, and a very confused time. It is going to be a time of morality being turned topsy-turvy. What was called good is now bad, and what was called bad is now good. Not just in the world, but in the very house of God. And we see that re-described again in chapter 3 of Revelation at the hand of John, the revelator, where he describes the Revelation church. And he describes it as a church that Jesus Christ, the most gracious, merciful being who's ever lived, cannot find one good compliment to give towards it. We see it as a church where it could be described as a place where people are... Let's look at it quickly. Go to 2 Timothy 3. This is the best way to describe the churches largely of this modern day. Look at it with me here. Go to 2 Timothy. Let's look at this really quickly. This is the best way to describe this church, this church that is going to be alive and doing well at the time of the rapture. And let me find it here with you. 2 Timothy 3, if you will, look at it or listen to me. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5 says this, and it's describing this last day's church. This is the churches that are in existence, that are booming, that are, are growing right at the time that the rapture comes. He says this about them, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. He says there's going to come in the last days Christians that have a form of godliness. It's a form of godliness. It's not godliness, but it is a form. If you would, it's a fake form of, of a fake version or a lesser version of true godliness. But then he says, denying the power thereof from such turn away. We see the power of the Holy Spirit to convict under repentance. They're lacking that power. So we see a church that has a form of godliness. But by and large, it is going to be full of unsaved, unrepented people. Now listen, I want to point this out again. God uses preaching of the Word of God to bring about repentance in the people of God. He used the prophets in the Old Testament, and He's used the pulpits of America, or all over the world, the pulpits to preach and bring about repentance. It has been a responsibility given to the man of God to preach to the people of God, thus saith the Lord. We are going to be in an age, if not in it, if not in it already, we're going to be in it where there's just not going to be much godliness, not going to be much preaching on repentance or salvation. Those are going to be lower-end topics. Therefore, many of the people that attend these churches are going to die in their sins, and they're going to be condemned to hell. And I believe many of them are described in that scene where Jesus talks about how people stand before him at the judgment seat and and talk about all their good deeds and how they prophesied in his name and how they did good works in his name. We know that good works are good, but they're not what bring about salvation. Today's church is very community work-minded, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to be about reaching our communities. Man, I like it. I wish we could do it. I, I would like to see us get more involved in these things in the future. 
But when this hurricane happened, it would be great if we could end up loading up trailers and doing what a lot of churches did and going up and helping with chainsaws and, and water and food and blankets and clothes. I'd like to see us eventually form a team of people that are responsive teams that go where there are tragedies, and especially here in our own town, in our own community. Uh, what we're doing this, this Wednesday night is basically just us giving a handshake to our community and being out there circulating and percolating with the people that we rub shoulders with all week long. We need to have a good rapport. But we see that often in order to reach ungodliness, we avoid godliness. Often to keep sinners, we avoid preaching on sin. And that is going to be the great flaw of the modern day Laodicean church. So we see here, having a form of godliness but denying the power, that power of the Holy Spirit to convict under repentance, that's going to be really largely done away with as the day of the Lord approaches. So there is a remnant of Christian-ish people that are going to be left behind when Jesus comes. So remember, the church is complete. After church three, it is not mentioned again. There is a remnant of Christian-ish people that are going to be left behind, people who attended church but never got saved. They had that form of godliness but denied the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, we see them left behind. The rapture, number three, is described here in chapter 4, verse 1. Go back to it again, Revelation 4, verse 1. He, he describes this thing that I had you write down called the rapture. Now, the word rapture is not found in the Bible. And sometimes that throws people for a loop. You know, how can we teach it? It's not in the book. Well, again, it's a theological word. It's a Latin word that describes a happening or an event that is described in the Bible and described a lot in the Bible. We're going to look at some verses here. Now, I want you to start off with me. Let's go over to 1 Corinthians 15. Now, get your Bibles out for just a minute. We're going to have to look at several verses. It's mentioned very briefly and very vaguely in chapter 4, verse 1. There's a lot of vague there. It doesn't use the word rapture. It just simply says that I looked, and he says I heard a trumpet, and a door was opened in heaven that said, come up hither. Now, every theologian will tell you that that is the great rapture, the great snatching up. Now, notice this, 1 Corinthians 15. By the way, the, the Latin word rapture, it's the Latin word rapios, which means to gather up. And so they have given that name to this event because it literally is when Jesus comes and gathers up his children into heaven, that great door that will be opened into heaven. He gathers them up. Now, we look at the church as the body of Christ. We say that he comes for the church, his bride. There's so much symbolism there. We think about how in biblical days they had what's called arranged marriages. We see that, that a young man would be betrothed. He'd become engaged to a young woman. Normally that was a family arrangement. Then he was to go back after the engagement in the Jewish culture. He was to go back, and then he was to start as a young man preparing the home for his bride. He would go and he'd start getting a home together, getting a home built. And his father was the one who was in control in the Jewish customs of when the marriage was allowed to take place. He would come and he would monitor the progress. He'd say, son, are you getting a home together? Show me your home for your new wife. And the son would say, well, we have a, a living room stamped out here, and I'm going to have a little bedroom over here. And, you know, we may have a little kid here in a couple of years. i got a little room over here. And, and Dad, listen, i got this over here so she can cook my favorite foods, and it's going to be great. And I've, I, I, I've, I've now got five cattle, and I'm going to try to get five more, so I'll have some, some cattle, and i got about ten sheep. 
And the father would monitor this, and he would monitor it, and he'd come back and say, okay, son, you're not quite ready, your home's not ready yet, but you're getting there, keep preparing. Keep getting it prepared. Now, they're engaged, they're betrothed. Then one day, the father would come, and he would see where now there's not just plans, but there's actually walls and a floor and a ceiling, and there's actually now cattle in the back and some sheep, and there's gates around it, and he's got a little garden planted over here, and he's now ready to take on a wife and start a family, and the dad would say, son... All right, go get your bride. And then he would announce that there's going to be a wedding feast. And that announcement would go out to all the family and the friends and everybody out there. And they would be gathered in for a big, huge wedding feast. You think about Jesus in John 14 said, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, Jesus made it clear that, he, that only the Father knows when he will be sent. And of course, that would be in, in accordance to Jewish customs. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus has gone to prepare heaven for us. When God says, son, go get your bride, he will come and receive us unto himself. So we see that played out, that, that culture, that tradition used as a metaphor. We then go to heaven. What's the first thing the Bible describes us doing in heaven? The what? Marriage supper of the Lamb. And that is all that symbolism there. Jesus is preparing heaven for his bride to be and the father will one day send him to go get his children now notice though the bible describes this event called the rapture and he describes it in a lot of different scriptures let's notice some of them here first corinthians 5 uh, 15 look at verse number 50 first corinthians 15 i should have turned to it myself here we go look at it look at verse number 50 he says this now this i say brethren that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of god neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now, when he says we shall not all sleep, what is he referring to there? Brother Gary, what does that mean? We shall not all sleep. What is he talking about? Taking a nap? That's what he's talking about. We, we, you know, it, it means that we're probably not going to come on a Sunday morning. Amen? What do you think it is? We're not going to all die. We shall not all die. There will be a generation that does not taste death. We shall not all sleep. Sleep was a word often used to describe the Christian who was resting in the Lord. You've heard the phrase, may he rest in peace. The child of God is merely resting in the Lord and we're awaiting the resurrection, the rapture. Now, notice what he says here. He says, uh, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. We're going to be changed from a corruptible body to an incorruptible body. Right now, you and I have corruptible bodies. That is due to sin. Our bodies age, our bodies grow sick, our bodies have diseases, our bodies grow old, but we're going to be given a perfected, incorruptible, indestructible body. Amen. Aren't you excited about that? Amen. That's one of those great, great hopes in heaven, that incorruptible body. But notice this, what else it says in verse number 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, by the way, mortal, that means dying, immortal means you will never die. It means unkillable. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
Now, we'll, we'll stop there. The rest of it's beautiful scripture, but for, the, for our niece tonight, I'll stop here. We see here where we are going to be given. We're going to be changed. We're going to be changed in our spirit, changed in our flesh. We're going to lose that sinful spirit. Aren't you going to be glad to get rid of that? That spirit that you have to fight day in and day out to do right. Do you ever find the struggle to do right? Tara, do you ever find that it's hard to do right things sometimes? It's hard, isn't it? You have to make yourself do right. And I have to make myself. That's a struggle all the time. Uh, but the reality is, at, at that twinkling of an eye, that, 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 that corruptible spirit, that sinful spirit, that's going to be done away with. And you and I are going to be given a body that never grows old and never dies. And it's going to be a wonderful transformation. And something that... that, that uh, We'll spend the rest of all eternity praising the Lord for. Now, we'll come back to some other thoughts on that that we'll see in some other scriptures. But for now, let's go over to John chapter 14. Go back to the left, to the book of John chapter 14. Look at what he writes here in verse number 3. Now, this is a beautiful scripture. By the way, this is the one scripture where Jesus speaks about heaven. He preached on hell a lot, but this will be the one place you'll find him talking about heavenly, uh, the heavenly home. But he says this in verse number 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. We see that Jesus makes a promise to the disciples that, that I'm going to go away, but I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And then one day I'm going to come back and receive you Unto myself. There, once again, we see that bridal image of receiving a bride and, and coming to prepare a home for that bride. And he says, Where I am, there you will be also. What a great promise we have from the Lord. Let's go over again to Acts chapter 1. The next book over Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts. Acts chapter 1, we see a mention of the rapture and we see a description of it. We get kind of a mental idea of what's going to happen here. Acts chapter 1, look at verse number 11. It says, Look at verse number 10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now there in verse 11, we see a promise that this Jesus that is now ascended up is going to return in the same manner. He, as he ascends up, he's going to descend down. And he, a promise is given that Jesus will come again. Let's go over now to Matthew 24. We see a, Jesus himself as he talks about the last days and the rapture. And it's a very frightening scripture in many ways. But also it's very enlightening in all the ways. For those that are unsaved, it would be very frightening. For those of us that are born again, it's very enlightening. Matthew 24, and it's probably one of the greatest teachings, I would say, dealing with the coming events of the rapture and the tribulation and, and related events. But in verse number 1 it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another. That shall not be thrown down. By the way, that was a prophetic statement. That happened in 70 A.D. General Titus of Rome destroyed the temple. Not one stone was left upon another. Josephus described it as being a mound of dust. They set it on fire. Remember that temple had beautiful gold over the walls and over the mortar. 
whenever they set it on fire, all of that melted and went down between the cracks. The Roman soldiers took the butt of their, or the pummel of their swords and literally pounded that rock into dust, trying to get every little last piece of, of, of gold and silver out of that. They said there was not one stone left upon another. It was just a big old mound of dust. So Jesus was not just speaking figuratively there, but he gives a literal prophetic saying there, and it did come to pass. Um, in verse 3 it says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Boy, that's been the big question. When's it all going down? When are you coming to get us? When is the end of the world going to be? And you know, God's not going to tell us. He's going to give us some signs and things to look for. You know, mankind has tried to crack the code. We've tried to crack the code, and theologians are trying to crack the code, and, and they, they feel that there's going to be some, some coded way in the Word of God to figure this out, and they're always looking at current events and looking at the stars, and they're looking at astrology. And there's every time I turn around, a book or some sort of teaching coming out where a preacher feels like he has cracked the code. I remember back in 1988, a man got pretty famous for writing a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. He actually gave a day. And man, people were ready. And people, literally, Christians quit their jobs. And, and, and they, they ran up credit card debts. We're not going to be around anyway. And a lot of people really bought into that. Well, I remember I was at Bible college and, and uh, I remember a guy coming on the radio, and he said, wait a minute, aren't all the Christians supposed to be gone today? And, and there was a big deal about it. And, of course, it did not happen, and the world mocked and made fun of us. Back in the 1920s in the little town of Hot Springs, Arkansas, there was a cult leader who became very large. He kind of lived out on a compound, and he became a cult leader. And he told everybody, convinced everybody, that he knew when the Lord was coming, and he ended up, uh, you know, that people began to, to, to quit, that people moved out there and lived on this little compound. And, and he had a day figured out where people quit their jobs and once again just kind of let things go. And they were all dressed in white and they literally went out and stood on the streets and their hands rest to the sky for that whole day. And of course the rapture did not come. That man ended up dying and they would not bury his body. It was a big ordeal. It's a big story back there. And uh, in any case, uh, he ended up dying a little bit after that. They wouldn't bury him. They they had his body in the back of a flatbed truck, and they drove him all over the city, and the, the officials had to eventually, he began to rot and corrupt, and the, the city square was all, uh, you know, filled with the stench of it, and they finally had to legally go in and possess his body and bury it. But, you know, he had a lot of just unbiblical teaching. You know, I'm glad God did not tell us the hour and the day. You know, people ponder, I wish I knew how much time I had to live. I wish I knew what day I was going to die. But, you know, I'm, I'm not of that sort. I would not, I would not want to know that information. Uh, if I could somehow be told that, if the Lord said I'm going to give you, I would say, Lord, no thank you. I want to live my, my life. I want to live every day and do, do, you know, do the best I can to, to get the most out of it. And I want to not live my life worried about a day on a calendar coming. Amen? I want to live my life as fully as I can. We need to not get so wrapped up of when that day is going to be. God's not going to tell us. We need to just live our life ready in a constant state of pleasing Jesus to the best of our ability. Who believes that? Say amen. Now look at this. What should be the sign of the coming and the end of the world? Verse 4, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, 
For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. You ought to underline that in the Bible. Listen, don't be panicked in this modern world. We're seeing things that are coming to pass. We are seeing things fall in line and fall in the order that God has set many, many centuries before the world began. God set these things in order. All these things must come to pass. We Listen, I believe in voting, and I want to encourage you to get to the polls and vote. There are some voting guides already on the back table that I put out this afternoon. There is a more extensive local one. All those, those things that you're confused about as you're trying to vote, all those amendments, I've got some good information on that coming for you. It'll be here Wednesday, and it'll be here next Sunday. And if you're going to the polls, you know, if, if you have to call me before you go, if you're doing early voting, or come by the office here, we'll have those for you this week. We should have them by tomorrow. But in any case, I believe in voting, but I do want to remind you that it is he who sits on the throne of heaven that is controlling this world. It is not the Democrats and the Republicans, although they do wreck a lot of things going on around us. They do cause us stress and perplexity. But in the end, we know that they cannot change one thing that God has set in order, and a lot of the times they're simply the tool that's being used for God's plan to come to pass. Who believes that? Say hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's in control. Don't be deceived. Don't, don't, don't be panicked. Wars, rumors of wars. He says, don't be troubled. These things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. And we see a sign there that there would be worldwide missions and that the gospel would be preached to the whole world before Jesus would come. But we see that, that that must happen. Look at verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, that is speaking of the person of the Antichrist, the beast. And he'll be spoken of a lot in Revelation. So this abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. Whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles 
be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven. Many people believe that's describing post-nuclear war. And the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. By the way, verse 30, if you want to write this down next to it, write second coming. Second coming. Next to verse 30. Write that down, and I'll, I'll give you commentary in a minute. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Just as we saw described in Revelation 4, verse 1, we see the trumpet. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. If we were to describe verse 38 and 40, what would be one word that you could think of that would describe the mood of man concerning God at the time that the rapture will occur? What would be the view of man concerning religion or God or church? What would be one word you would use, Brother Xavier? Okay, apathy would be a great word. People just don't care. Where has the fear of God gone in people's lives? And I'm not just talking about the lost world. The lost world seems to have lost their fear of the idea of the rapture. But do you believe that it's fair to say that most Christians have lost their fear of being ready for the rapture? You know, there's more aspects to being ready than just having a ticket. Am I right? You ever taken a trip? There's more aspects to going than, than just getting a plane trick, ticket. I wonder if we're ready. You know, are we... Are we, are we living for this thing? And I'm seeing Christians by the scores that are living very apathetically in this topic of the rapture. They're out of church. They're not serving God. They're not living righteously. And I wonder to myself, is this the way it was at the time of Noah when he was building this great ark and preaching and this, this unheralded event he was talking about, a flood. It had never rained before. Everybody in the whole world was apathetic. They just mocked and made fun of him. What would be another word that we could use to describe those two verses? There's many. If you used one word, what would be the word you would use to describe mankind when it comes to their view of Christianity and religion right before the rapture? Anybody? Unbelief? Do you believe there's a lot of people that have lost their belief in the rapture? Do you think there's people who go to church that have, you know, the Bible calls it apostasy, a falling away from believing? I believe there's a lot of people that have really lost their faith that Jesus is coming. So we see disbelief. What about another word? Let's get one more. What's another word? Vince, what word would you use? Okay, disappointment. They're going to be very disappointed, many of them. There's no doubt. What about the word disinterested? 
people are just not interested in you know, a whole lot. There's a lot of disinterest in church, religion, spiritual things, living spiritually. So we see those words that could describe that period of time. All right, look at verse, uh, here's where it gets very interesting here. Look at uh, verse 40. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not. The Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord when he cometh, shall find so doing. If you have your pen, underline verse 46. To the child of God, this is such an important piece of Scripture. Listen, you're saved and I'm happy for you. You're born again, you're baptized. But listen, are you ready for the Lord to return? That's the question here. Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. He becomes worldly, in other words. The Lord of the servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we see Jesus as he gives a, a very vivid picture of what is described very briefly in Revelation 4, verse 1. And uh, we see a lot there. We didn't have time to stop and look at it, but we saw a lot of things that are important. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Y'all still with me out there? I've got to cut it a little short here in a minute. I do have to make an hour and a half drive to preach again tonight. I'm looking forward to it. I love to preach. But uh, sometimes my time gets away from me, and I have felt bad about that a couple of Sunday nights where I've gone a little too long, and I am working to trim it back. 1 Thessalonians 4. Look at verse number 13. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica. He writes this, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That's talking about those that are dead. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we see. Notice it says God bring with him. At the rapture, we're going to see that these people... We're going to be seeing these people at the rapture. We're going to see them come at the second coming. Now, I'll explain that in a minute. Okay, that, that they're going to, they're, nothing's going to prevent them from coming with him. They, the ones that died in the Lord. They're with Jesus. That's what the most important part of it is. And they died with Jesus, where are they at? They're coming with Jesus, so where does that tell us they are? They're with Jesus, amen? So one day when we see the appearing of Christ, we'll see our loved ones that have gone on before as well. It's going to be a wonderful reunion day. Great day, great day. Now look at this. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven where they shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's that word. That's where the word rapture comes from right there. Do you see it? Caught up or gathered up, we see it in Revelation 4.1, caught up together with them in the clouds. You might want to write the word rapture next to that, verse 17. 
in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, I've got many other scriptures here. Time's not going to permit me to, to read them. But the Bible has got a lot of teaching, which is more extensive than what we get in Revelation 4.1, where it just simply records the time frame of the happening. We see the seven churches, the church age ends, it is stopped, it is ended by this event called the rapture, and we see uh, this, this, this thing happen. We see it unfold in great detail throughout other scriptures. Now, notice this. The rapture is in two phases. I want to give this to you quickly. I want you to remember it this way. There is what's called the rapture, and there's what's called the second coming. Don't have the two confused. They are similar but different. Does that make sense? They're similar but different. The rapture comes first. The second coming comes second. The rapture happens. Then seven years later, the second coming happens. How many of you understand that? I want you to remember it this way. In the rapture, he comes for his own. He comes for the saved. He comes for the church. Before the tribulation. In the second coming, he comes back with his own to earth to rule 1,000 years from Jerusalem. So we see the, the rapture, Jesus comes for his own. The second coming, he comes back with his own to set up his kingdom. Do you all understand that? Do you understand the difference in the two? How much time separates the rapture from the second coming? Seven years. What is that seven-year period called? The tribulation period, the time of Jacob's sorrows. First three and a half years are going to be awesome, beautiful, Last three and a half years are going to be a nightmare. Now, what do we know about the rapture? Let me give these quick thoughts, and then we'll call it a, a night here very quickly. What do we know about the rapture? Well, we know these facts. Number one, we do not know when it will happen. We made that clear. We saw that clearly in Scripture. You don't know when it's going to happen. Preacher, when's Jesus coming? I don't know. I don't know. What is the remedy for our ignorance on that? What do we need to do since we don't know when Jesus is coming? Miss Cassie, we don't know when he's coming. So what should we do? Act like he's coming every day. Be ready, be prepared, be in a constant state of readiness. And live our lives. Kids in the room, make plans, man. People out there, listen, all of you, have retirement funds. Pay your bills. Keep your credit cards paid up. Don't depend on the rapture to bail you out, amen. Live healthy. I was talking to a friend of mine who many of you knew, W.P. W. Rue. I went to see him in the hospital just before he died. He looked at me one day and he said, Preacher, if I'd have known I was going to live this long, I'd have sure took better care of myself. The reality is, take good care of yourself. Plan to live to be old. Plan to live to be old. Don't wreck your body thinking you won't live to be old. Teenagers, plan to get married. Build your character. Build your education. Build your schooling. And, and listen, there's a good chance you'll get to live to be an old man. But you know what? We don't know when it's going to happen. We just know that it is going to happen. It's very sure. Now, number two, we know this about the rapture. It will happen worldwide and instantly. Now, there are scriptures I don't have time to turn you to, but we see a description of people working in a field and at the same moment, people in bed asleep. By the way, that's a scientific surety today, but they did not understand that then. Jesus understood it. He understood that at one place in the world it could be daylight. People could be in the fields working while at the same split second on the other side of the world, people would be in bed asleep. But Jesus describes the rapture catching people asleep in bed 
and people working in a field at the same time. I find that to be very interesting, but it'll be a worldwide and instantaneous event. Um, they say that, it, it, that the time it takes, the twinkling of an eye is how the Bible describes, in a twinkling of an eye, they, they describe that as the time it takes for light to hit your eye and go to your brain to be registered. That's how much the twinkling of an eye, that's what twinkling is. It's the time it takes for your eye to register what it's seeing. You know what science has attached a mathematical second to this? It's one-sixth billionth of a second. One-sixth billionth of a second the rapture will occur. Twinkling of an eye. Now, for anybody who says, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait till I see people going up, then I'm going to get saved. I'm going to wait till I hear a trumpet. Listen, if... I were to take this Bible and be holding it like this and the rapture come before this Bible hit that pulpit, I would be with Jesus. One-sixth of a billion... If take a, uh, uh, that's, I don't even know how to think in those terms. One-sixth billionth of a second. That's fast. Now, we know this about the rapture. It's going to happen instantly, but also, number three, it's going to throw the world into chaos and that will usher in the opportunity for the Antichrist to set up his kingdom. Number four, we know, we, we, we know this. It's going to be explained away. Many people are not going to turn to Jesus. Most of the world will not. And that's for two reasons. Uh, they're going to have hardened hearts, much like Pharaoh, because the Holy Spirit will not be operating in the tribulation as he was in the day of grace. Number two, we understand that their desire to explain away Jesus will rise to the, the idea that UFOs have come and that there's government conspiracies those type of things will be given to explain away the rapture. And we know that. We can see that already setting up. Now, the saved, we know this about the rapture. The saved will be gathered out and the lost will be left behind. Very simple. If you are born again, you'll be snatched up in one-sixth billionth of a second. If you are lost in that same amount of time, you will be left behind. And the Bible describes that. Two women working, one taken, the other left. We see that very, very... It's a frightening thought. It's, it's, it's something that, you know, has been described often in Hollywood movies and Christian films. People riding in a car and the driver suddenly disappearing or people flying in an airplane and they look in the pilot seat. There's no pilot there. Uh, women screaming as they look down into their baby carriage and their baby is just suddenly gone or missing and, and they, they depicted it in various ways. It's a frightening thought, but yet the Bible describes that that will be the way it will happen. As we understand the rapture, and I've given you just a, a short teaching on it tonight, we must ask these four quick questions. Number one, if Jesus came today, are you saved? If the rapture happened before I ended this service, would you be saved? Would you be a part of those taken up, or would you be the crowd left behind Wondering what just happened. Let me ask you a second follow-up question. If you answer yes to that one, let me ask you this one. Are your loved ones saved? Are your loved ones saved? We need to be soul winning in these last days. We need to be about doing the Lord's business. Listen, beloved, that's why we go soul winning. That's why I still have the soul safari. I'm not giving up hope. And I'm not going to let the devil have any uncontested soul as long as we have the ability to tell people about Jesus. People may reject us and people may turn us away. But it is my hope that I can take as many people up in the rapture with me as I can. How many of you agree with me on that? 
listen, are your loved ones saved? And don't be afraid to, to talk about it. Bring it up to them. God, don't nag them about it. But when you get an opportunity, talk to them. Don't give up. Don't ever say, I'm never doing it again. You, you have to have courage, but we've got to talk to our loved ones. We would not want them to be left behind. And at one-sixth billionth of a second, you're not going to have time to try to reach them when the rapture comes. Number three, are you living in obedience to righteousness? Are you living in obedience? Are you living righteously? If Jesus came right now, would he come back and find you living in sin? Now, all of us are sinners. And there's a difference in you know, having sin in your walk and walking in sin, but, but are you living in presumptuous sins? Things that you need to repent of, that the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you about. You don't want Jesus to come back and find you in a period of living in wickedness. And then lastly, are you doing His will? The Bible says, blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when He comes, finds Him so doing. Are you doing what God wants you to do? Listen, I, I, all of you are in church right now, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. We've got a whole list of people on roles that haven't been to church in years, although they used to attend here. Sadly, some of them have left church not to go to church anymore. They're not going to other churches. They're not out attending other churches and being a part of that family, which is what I would rather have seen. And the Lord knows my heart. I know that not everybody's going to come here and stay at Orlando Baptist Temple. But my hope is if you ever leave Orlando Baptist Temple, whether you're mad at me or Brother Gary or what the usual is, you're mad at Brother Ray, uh, it, whatever one makes you mad, listen, there's another good church out there for you. If you leave the fellowship of this church, you belong to Jesus. You don't belong to us. You find a church and you get in it and you serve God. You go soul winning and you teach a class. And if you get mad here or if you move, Brother Eddie just moved away. The last thing I talked to Brother Eddie when I spoke to him, I said, Coach, find a church up there in Virginia. Find a church. He said, well, I'll have a hard time finding one like this. And I said, you won't find one like this. Every church is different, but you'll find one that's just as good in its own ways but you get out there and you find you a church. And I want to be looking for your church, uh, uh, you know, your, your, your transfer. I want to transfer your membership. to It does you no good to be a member here. If you're living there, you go join a church. And I'm going to tell you the same thing. I don't want you to leave our church. I love every one of you, but the fact is people do move and people do leave and people get their feelings hurt. People get offended if that ever happens. You find you a church and you get in it. And you be a part of it and you love it. Because you know what? It's a bigger thing going on here than what you may realize. Jesus is going to come back one day. When He does, blessed is that servant whom He comes back and finds them serving. Don't be of that number that have gotten over their fear of the rapture. I don't know how born-again people are living in this world unchurched, not serving God, not living righteously, and not concerned about their lost loved ones. You know what it tells me? Apathy has fallen into their heart. They're no longer afraid of this thing called the rapture. Don't you lose your fear in such an hour as you think not. The Son of Man cometh. Be the one that He finds serving. I mean, from the cradle to the grave, from the baby bed to the time you're dead, you make your life about pleasing and serving and being in a state of preparedness for Jesus Christ. I want you to bow your heads tonight. Is there anyone that could say, Preacher, I don't know that I'm saved. And the thought of the rapture scares me because I worry about it. I don't know that I'm saved. Would you... Would you pray for me tonight, preacher? I want, I want help tonight. Would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Anybody? Anybody? All right, it looks like tonight everybody here professes Jesus to be their Savior. Think about those other three questions then. Are your loved ones ready? 
Are you living righteously? And are you doing God's will? You doing His work? Are you busy about His business? You need to be able to, to see the Lord return and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Good, faithful. You're living good and you're living faithful. That's what we want to do when Jesus returns. Is there anyone that could say, preacher, the message spoke to me tonight. The, the, the Word of God spoke to my heart. Would you just slip your hand up tonight? Amen. I see hands everywhere. The rapture is a mixture of joy and sadness. There's no way to talk about it without a mixture of the two. But there are some fascinating things as we'll learn in the next several pages of our scripture and revelation. Sunday nights, don't miss it. We're going we're to be getting into things that I believe will stir your heart and your imagination as we think about the things that Jesus has spoken of. Dear Lord, I thank you for this time that we have gathered tonight. Now, Lord, I'm going to give some time for people to come to an altar and speak to you about what's on their mind what's in their heart, with the needs they have, the worries that they have. Lord, some of them have lost loved ones. God, it all starts with prayer. Burden starts with prayer. And sometimes we're not worried about them because we have stopped praying for them. And yet, Lord, sometimes we invite people and invite them and invite them and invite them. And on the 100th invite, they come to church and it sticks. We can't grow weary of well-doing. Let us not grow weary. Let us be about your business. And Lord, let us be mindful and let us believe in this thing called the rapture. In Jesus' name. If God has spoken to your heart or moved you in some way, or if you just simply have a need to pray, you come. Let's stand together.